America is a study in contrasts, from the pomp and circumstance of a presidential inauguration to the reality of hunger across the land. Today's guest documents life in the United States as only a photojournalist can. She's Maddie McGarvey, this week on Story in the Public Square. Hello and welcome to Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. And I'm G. Wayne Miller with the Providence Journal. This week, we're joined by an old friend of the show. Maddie McGarvey is an amazingly talented photojournalist whose work has been seen recently in National Geographic, the New York Times, and always on her Instagram page, at Maddie McGarvey, spelled just like it sounds. She joins us today from Ohio. Maddie, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. It's always a pleasure. I think it's been about a year and a half since you were last on the show, and it was during the pandemic, uh, and you've been busy, uh, to put it mildly, since then. Let's start back with the inauguration of President Joe Biden, which you, which you, which you covered. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and, and you know, in the aftermath of the of the Capitol riot, the insurrection, uh, with all of the drama and the pandemic raging, what was that experience like? Yeah, so it was it was pretty interesting because I'd been um, following Joe Biden's um, journey through the uh, that campaign since he announced that he was running for president. I was in South Carolina with him um, when he got the nomination, and then you know to be able to kind of get finish it up as he was walking into the White House was a pretty big, cool thing. Um, but it was obviously like a little bit of a strange experience because we we're in the middle of a pandemic and DC was so locked down after um, January 6th. So, you know, you're kind of walking around and normally during um, inaugurations, you'd probably see a lot of people and, and you know, everyone would, would want to watch and all that. But um, for this, it was, it was layers and layers of security and National Guard. Um, so it was just a really bizarre experience. Um, just so much security, so many clearances we had to get. But, um, you know, it was really interesting to see and, you know, witness history with Kamala Harris as the first, um, you know, vice president of color and woman. Um, it was, it was an, a really interesting experience. Do you ever think though about, I don't know how to put this, the, the privilege uh, of being literally at sort of at the front row of history for a moment like that? I mean, honestly, all the time. I have to pinch myself. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't ever want to get used to the feeling of seeing history unfold in front of me. It's just, it's such an incredible gift. And um, yeah, just to be able to see history under a microscope, it's its its insane. It's so cool. I, I definitely had one of those moments where I was stationed outside of the White House and, you know, I had to get up at, you know, 5 a.m. and um, stand out in the cold for, you know, like 12 hours until he, he finally did the parade in front of the White House. But the entire time I was just like, I can't believe this. <laughs> like, this is such a cool experience. So um, I definitely have those pinch me moments as a photojournalist a lot. So, Maddie, did you have a chance to actually get inside the Capitol during your time uh, around the inauguration? No, I didn't. It was it was so locked down by that point. Um, they just really weren't letting people near it. Um, so I, I didn't do that. But, um, you know, I was kind of had my one one little spot that I was stationed. Um, 
And it, you know, it's funny because it's like so much, so many logistics of like getting security clearance and, and getting in, in position. And then when it comes down to it, it was like maybe five minutes of taking photos. So it was, uh, it was kind of interesting. Did, did you have any concerns for your own safety? I mean, this, this is literally two weeks after the insurrection. And I know watching it that, you know, I was anxious that something would happen. I know security was really, really tight. You, you've talked about that, but was, was that going through your mind at all that, that, that there could be personal risk to you and other people there covering and participating? It definitely crossed my mind. Um, but I think that, you know, after January 6th, they took every precaution in the book. I mean, it was, everything was so, so, so locked down and um, the security, I, I can't imagine a place with more security. Um, so when I actually got there, my anxiety kind of went away and, um, you know, I kind of just tuned into like this really historic moment. Not long after that, Maddie, you uh, did a shoot for National Geographic in their series on hunger in America. Uh, and you traveled to West Virginia uh, and, and, and did some photo reporting there. Um, talk to us about that series and about the series that you shot. Yeah, so um, National Geographic was doing a large story about hunger in America. And I went down to West Virginia to um, kind of photograph this concept of, of hunger. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I live in Columbus, Ohio. I never really have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. But, you know, these people all around us, um, you know, two hours away in West Virginia, other places in Columbus are always wondering what their next meal is going to be. And I, I just, it was, it was such a privilege to meet these people um, in West Virginia. They, there's like, you know, grocery stores might be like 45 minutes away, but it's on these really windy roads. So even if you have, um, you know, money or car, it's just, it's still hard to get there. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see because it's like these children who, um, you know, a lot of times the teachers at their schools are sending them home with food. Um, West Virginians are the best people. And one thing that I thought was really inspiring about the story was just like how the community rallies around um, to help each other, whether it's like the guidance counselor, um, you know, taking a trip up and seeing their kids and dropping off fresh food, fruit or a cold drink. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's something that, you know, I, it was a story I really enjoyed working on because I think it could kind of open up your eyes to like what's happening not too far away from you and something that millions of Americans are struggling with every single day. How do you find the subjects for for a shoot, for a shoot like that? A lot of times it's just sort of like wandering around a town and and starting to talk to people and asking people like do you know anyone that's in the situation and you know I I'm always like so pleasantly surprised that people are so open to telling their story. Um, you know, I'm a little bit like I get a little anxious being like, "Hey, can I photograph you in this really intimate setting?" But, you know, 9 times out of 10 people are so willing to like just share their stories and they're glad that someone's listening. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was a lot. And I, I was able to spend about two weeks there and just really get to know these families and they let me into their lives and homes. And, you know, I told them stories about my life and then they kind of trusted me and, and were able to, you know, share their lives. Um, so it was, it was a really amazing experience. Um, and it was, it was interesting to hear their frustrations because, you know, sometimes people in Appalachia and West Virginia feel like they're kind of looked over. Um, you know, they, it's almost like they, people expect it to be there to be poverty there. So, um, you know, they don't take it as seriously. And so that's a frustration. So I, you know, being able to get there and show the story, um, I visited this food bank and uh, they do this every single week. It doesn't open till 11 AM and cars were st starting to line up at 2 45 AM for food. Wow. wow. 
I mean, and it was miles and miles of cars just, you know, and they do this every single week. And, um, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I think some of the bigger cities were getting attention for that, um, you know, like long food lines and everything. And, and you know, the guy, um, Bill, who, who runs the food bank is like, this is every week in West Virginia, you know? So I, you know, I like to highlight these like communities around me that I just like really deeply care about and understand. And I just feel really like honored that they let me to tell their story. And hopefully it kind of opens up the eyes to, um, you know, people in the country, because I think sometimes you just don't know until someone kind of shines a light on it. You obviously have a real talent for that personal connection, which I would argue is an integral part of your great photojournalism. Do you stay in touch with the people you photograph? Do they stay in touch with you? How, how does that work? Yeah, I, I really try to keep these relationships going. Um, it's funny, it's like, I don't really use Facebook too much anymore, but Facebook is such a great way to like keep in touch with people that I photograph over the year. So, you know, they'll send me some messages with updates. I'll like, you know, message them back, tell them what's up in my life. And um, yeah, I, I, I just feel so thankful that I have all these like really special relationships all over the country from, you know, all these interesting stories I worked on. Um, but yeah, and I love always like sending them pictures too. Like that's like the least I can do if they trust me, just like be like, here's these like nice photos of you that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have had otherwise. So um, yeah, I love keeping up relationships with people. So another story that you illustrated was last year for the New York Times Magazine, and it was titled, When No Landlord Will Rent to You, Where Do You Go? How Extended Stay Hotels and Motels Became the Last Housing Option for Thousands of Low-Income Americans. Obviously, another very important topic. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, so I, was, I went to Las Vegas, and in Columbus, Ohio, there was two... Um, a woman in Las Vegas and a family in Ohio. And, you know, it's one of those things where um, a lot of like bad luck and, and, and just like circumstances of life kind of compounds. So these, you know, two women, they, they got evicted, their credit kind of tanked. Um, so no landlord would rent to them. So the only kind of option is to live in these um, motels, these long-term stay motels. But the problem is, um, the the monthly payment for that is often like double what a like studio that you can rent would cost so they're paying just so much money like 13 1400 a month for like a 300 square foot motel and it's just you know digging a deeper and deeper deeper hole um and you know the housing um lottery just there's like a five-year wait for it for assistance and um you know there's often families of like seven eight kids living in these tiny little hotel rooms and, you know, it's one of those things, too, where I, I never really thought about it when I was passing these motels on the highway. And now every time I pass these extended stay motels, I like think about these families that are living there and it's their entire home in there, every all their belongings and and how they're still struggling because it's just so expensive for, for what they're getting. But they have no other options. You know, I mean, that, that that must have an impact on you, you know, emotionally seeing seeing that witnessing that and, and becoming you know deeply involved in photographing that. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it breaks my heart. And it's, you know, I get to kind of see like, really up close, how a lot of like, policy and these like, uh, norms of society affect people. Um, and, you know, it's, it just, it's really unfortunate, because, you know, they, they just get deeper and deeper in a hole that's just so hard to get out of. And it's just there's so few options. So I yeah, I, I'm constantly thinking about these 
these people and and you know I, I try to do my my best to keep in touch and like you know share resources and all that but um you know I hope that like sharing their stories someone can kind of see it and maybe you know eventually like a policy will change or or they can you know get the help they need but it, it you know it's really it's tough it's, it's really hard not to get attached emotionally to like everyone I photograph <laughs> <laughs> well Maddie another another emotional tough story that you did for the Heckinger report focused on uh, a veteran and their family who was not getting the kind of help that they're promised from Washington. Can you break down that assignment for us? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, during the pandemic, obviously, um, a lot of schools went completely virtual. And I think that this story was just a clear example of how like the pandemic doesn't um, treat everyone equally. Uh, so this family, uh, it was a veteran and her husband, and they had a you know severely crippled daughter and um, two other daughters, and they're doing everything they can to support them, but you know they can't really. They were having trouble getting a job, and then at the same time they have to have people to watch the kids, um, and then on top of that, you know the cost of high speed internet for these kids to do uh, virtual school meant that the parents would like just not eat dinner a few days a week because they couldn't afford both food and high-speed internet um and you know they were like there was drive-by shootings in the neighborhood so the kids were traumatized and had ptsd from that and you know the mom's just like i just feel helpless like i have a degree i'm a veteran i'm asking for help i'm looking for help and i just can't get it um and yeah and i, I just think it's one of those things where it's you know we all struggle during covid but like some people really like this you know, it was such an, it such impacted their lives and, and their incomes and, and they got just so far behind. So that was a tough one to work on for sure. Um, but yeah, it was nice. Cause like people rallied around them and, and ended up, you know, um, raising like, I think $40,000 for the family, which was wow. like sort of a, you know, a silver lining of it, but you know, there's, there's countless families like this. It was just like one example. And it's just, it, it's just, it's kind of sad to see. So where, where does your long interest or in your deep interest in exploring social injustices and disparities come from? I mean, you're a photojournalist, you can choose any subjects you want, but we've just talked about some of the things that are dear to your heart and are so important. Where, do, where does this come from? Why are you attracted to doing these incredibly important stories? I mean, I, I've always just been like a pretty curious person, I guess. Um, and I, I just really love like discovering more about my community. I, I really strongly believe like in the idea of covering your own backyard and, um, you know, showing your community what's happening um, in their own backyards. So, you know, and I also, you know, I get to photograph like presidents, but I also see people at their lowest moments too. And I guess kind of seeing how policy in Washington like directly affects you know, just the normal American. Um, it's just really, it's interesting to me. And I think that, um, you know, the goal at least is that people will see these, these photos and see what's happening in their own backyards and hopefully, you know, be a little bit more aware of it because I think sometimes people just have blinders on and it's, it's hard to kind of see outside of their own lives. So, um, you know, every time I work on these stories, I'm just like astounded and, and like touched and heartbroken and like all, all the different emotions about, what's happening all around me. Um, so yeah, I think it's just this deep curiosity and just in hope that, you know, getting their story out can create some kind of positive change. 
We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard four times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. When I'm not on the air, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at J.M. Lutus. Joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist with the Providence Journal and the author of 19 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter, too, at G. Wayne Miller. This week, we're talking with Maddie McGarvey, a photojournalist of immense talent whose work has been seen recently in National Geographic, The New York Times, ESPN, and The Wall Street Journal, among many others. Whether you're on Twitter or Instagram, you can find her at Maddie McGarvey, that's M-A-D-D-I-E-M-C-G-A-R-V-E-Y, but do check out her Insta for a remarkable sample of her work. Do you ever get frustrated, though, that the, that, not, so like, you know, you put on cable news on a regular basis, and that drives so much of the conversation that, about policy and about what's happening in this country, and by and large, in the primetime hours on any of the three major cable networks, there's not the kind of coverage of the kinds of issues that you're talking about here. It's, it's more some sort of mix, weird mix of the celebrity of power rather than it is a, a, deep, a deep dive into the lived experience of Americans all over the country. Do you get frustrated that, that you're doing this incredible reporting, uh, but, but so much of the, of the press uh, is sort of oblivious to this? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that like seeing pictures and photos and reading stories about just like the actual American day-to-day -day experience and people actually being affected rather than like a pundit talking head on a TV show just goes a longer, you know, goes further. Um, people really can connect when they, they can look at a photo and be like, that could be my mom or my cousin or my brother and like- Or me. Or me, yeah, and right. like one or two other like decisions in life or one or two other like, you know, anything that could have been me. So, you know, I, I, I think humanizing these stories is so important um, in connecting people to it. I mean, and I think that's, it's the case, like, you know, I've, I read all, all the time about, you know, factories closing, for example. And, you know, I, one of the stories I worked on a couple of years ago was like a GM, um, you know, he'd worked at GM his entire life. It was such a part of his identity and what it meant for his family that he was like this factory's closing and he's losing his job because, you know, you hear that like headline all the time. You might hear that on the news, but when you're looking at him and his family and he has like a severely disabled daughter and it's just hard to like move your entire life and just like how he felt as in his identity of always being a GM worker and his dad was a GM worker and his grandfather was a GM worker. So Maddie, when we were talking last week before you came on the show about what we wanted to get into, we talked about mental health. Uh, and as you know, I've covered mental health. That's been my journalistic passion for, for decades. And we've had guests on the show repeatedly talking about mental health. And of course, during the pandemic, many of the issues have been exacerbated by, by COVID. So when I saw an Instagram post from you, it was early this year, I think January 2nd. It really caught my eye. And I'm just going to read the beginning of it. And then you can talk about what led you to post this and the issues behind it. So it began, 2021 had its fair share of ups and downs, but I can say with complete certainty 
that it was the first year I really put myself first. I found a therapist that I see weekly that helps me process life and grief and anxiety and everything in between. I started medication that helps me feel like a complete person and realize there's no shame in that. I prioritize friends and family because 2020 taught me that you cannot take that time for granted. Very powerful words. I mean, you're a great writer in addition to a photographer, but get into that for us, will you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first and foremost, I think that, you know, there is still stigma around mental health and it really, in my opinion, should be treated like anything else. It should be treated like if you're medicated for high blood pressure, you know, it's, it should be the same for like medicating depression or anxiety. And, you know, I think that in some ways, um, during COVID, it kind of like, it just helped me put things in perspective of what was important. Um, and it helped me slow down a little bit. I think before I was sort of working at a, like an unsustainable pace and I was just gonna like, I felt like I was on my way to burning out a little bit and then, you know, slowing down. And then, you know, I lost my father in the beginning of 2020. And then I was just really kind of thinking of like, what is important to me in life? And I really wanted, like no day is promised. I, I learned that with the loss of my father. I learned that with like the loss of all these people with COVID. Um, and I'm like, you know, no day is promised. So what do I want to do with my one life I have? Um, and so I really started to prioritize just my mental health and, and, and kind of realizing that like as much as I love this job so much, there is a little bit of vicarious trauma I feel like I've been carrying with me. Um, I mean, I've given like artist talks before and talked about a lot of these things I've covered. And often the, the one question I've gotten at the end is like, are you okay? Like, what do you do for yourself? And for the longest time I was like, I, I really don't do anything. And then I kind of realized I need to do something about this. And so, you know, in 2020, I started seeing a therapist and, you know, I went on some medication and it, it just changed my life completely. And, you know, therapy is, is such a privilege too. I wish that there was, it was so much more uh, accessible in America because I think everyone should have a therapist if they can. I mean, just having this out, outside perspective on your life and, and, and shaping it is so, so huge. That's, that's all very powerful. And you, you got a tremendous reaction on Instagram. Uh, and what, what have you heard from people, not just on Instagram, but just people in, in your world, your life, colleagues, friends, family, what was their reaction to you sharing this? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it was just positive. I mean, people, I got a lot of people messaging me and, and just saying like, you know, thank you for speaking about this because it's something that I've been struggling with um, every day. And I just, I feel like I can't, you know, I feel like, especially like on social media, everyone's sort of putting just their best foot forward at all times. And it kind of creates this um, false <laughs> narrative of what reality is like when you right. like people's highlight reels. So I think, you know, just being able to show, um, you know, and life's not perfect and, and that's okay. Um, you know, I got a lot of response, just like, thank you for talking about this. And like, how did you find a therapist? Um, you know, what, what kind of like medication are you on? Like what steps have you taken? And, and just being able to have those like conversations freely, it just feels really good. And it feels really productive and healthy because, you know, especially like we've all been through a lot of trauma in the last couple of years, and it's totally okay to realize that and, and talk about it and, and move forward in a healthy way. And, and, you know, there's so many resources out there. So yeah, I think, I think it had, you know, it was a really positive response. And I was so glad that I was able to talk about that after kind of uh, holding those feelings in for a long time. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, powerful public service to doing with that and frankly talking about it here too let's switch topics for just a, a moment though uh you were uh, among those covering president trump's first uh uh rally after the insurrection of january 6th that happened to occur in ohio 
what was that experience like? Media is not generally well received. Uh, and in fact, you've, they, they, other journalists have become props for some of those rallies. What was your experience like? Yeah, so I've, I've photographed a lot of um, Trump rallies over the years. Um, this one was like not too different, honestly. It's just, there was a lot of people, they were all really excited. Um, it's always, you know, there's the kind of the tradition of, of, of Trump um, kind of booing the media and, you know, fake news and all that. But it's, it's kind of funny because like when I just kind of go up to people and, and talk to them human to human, they're always like pretty nice to me. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> you know, I think that's like, that's kind of the thing. It's like, um in mass media you just kind of get this idea this collective behavior idea of like what one group is like or what, what another group is like but you know one person one individual to another individual just realize realizing we're all humans um i don't know i mean it's 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 an interesting like experience because um yeah one-on-one -on -one, i didn't really have a problem but you know then when the whole like through the media fake news you know that was like a whole collective behavior um but it was you know it was interesting it was um People it, it hit a huge crowd. People were really excited to see him. Um, he knows how to, you know, ramp up a crowd. So um, it was interesting to kind of get back into politics again. I thought it might have like a year off or something, but um, it's always interesting to see. So switching gears again, tell us about the uh, the Kathy Sullivan shoot for Rolling Stone, another another great publication where your work has appeared. Yeah, so Kathy is an amazing woman. Um, she's the first woman to have gone to outer space and the deepest part of the ocean. Um, and so I was just like so excited to meet her. Just think she's like so cool and what like what a trailblazer for women. Um, and yeah, so we, we kind of just walked around Columbus. She started a science museum here several years ago and she just was so full of energy and uh, you know, I was just so curious. I was like, you know, what, what, what was scarier? Was it outer space or, or the deepest part of the ocean? And she was like, neither. <laughs> She's just so, you know, <laughs> stoic. And I was like, cause both of those things terrify me. So, uh, so yeah, just kind of meeting this woman who's had these incredible experiences. Like, again, it's just like a pinch me moment. I get these, I get to meet the am most amazing people. Um, so that was a really cool one. Maddie, we've got uh, literally about 30 seconds left here. You know, I, I was uh, looking through something else the other night, uh, some some historic photographs uh, from the Second World War, actually. And I thought about those journalists who snapped those pictures. Some of them were on the home front. Some of them were on a battlefield. But they snapped those pictures sort of in that moment. Do you ever stop and think about the long-term impacts of some of the photos you might take? What might be seen 100 years from now? Does that does that ever cross your mind uh, when you're working on one of these shoots? I mean, yeah, sometimes I think it's so important to have a record of history. Um, I love looking at photos from, you know, even 10 years ago and 100 years ago. You know, it's just it's so important to know like what we've been through and and where we're going and how history changes, but also sort of repeats itself. So, you know, my hope is that like, you know, me kind of like covering my backyard and and creating this little like record of history people will be able to see and, and know what happened here in the midwest and um yeah i think it's just such a cool thing and i just i, I again i know i keep saying this but i just feel so like honored to be able to like tell these stories and just have this perspective of of the world around me it's just like it's the best job in the world well, Maddie McGarvey on Instagram, it's M-A-D-D-I-E-M-C-G-A-R-B-E-Y. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Always such a pleasure.
That's all the time we have this week. But if you want to know more about storing the public square, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit PellCenter.org. We can always catch up on previous episodes. For G. Wayne Miller, I'm Jim Lutis asking you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square.